so that moment when you're about to preach on anxiety and worry and you realize that your iPad's got 10% battery life. The Lord is funny like that. We, uh, we are going to be in uh, Psalms this morning, Psalm 127, if you want to go ahead and turn there. We're also going to be in Matthew 6. You can bookmark both of those places. Um, we're going to get to them a little bit deeper here in just a second. It's been kind of a crazy year uh, for my wife and I. Uh, two weeks ago, we closed on our home that we have been building uh, for the better part of the last year. Um, now, I say building. We didn't actually build the house, unlike the Rickersons and the Sprongs, who were manly men enough to actually construct their homes with their own hands. I, I am not so inclined. Um, I tried to build a ramp to park my mower in my shed, and it collapsed. And so 12-year-olds all over the world build ramps on a daily basis and that uh, skill apparently escapes me. And so we engaged a builder to actually construct our home. And so if you've ever built a house before, um, you have to do these walkthroughs. You always have to do all these walkthroughs. So you go do a plumbing walkthrough, and you do a tile walkthrough, and you do an electrical walkthrough. And so when we did our electrical walkthrough, what you have to do is, is tell the electrician, I need a plug here, I need a light here. We have dangly decorative lights here, fans here, and, and that sort of thing. And so it got to the point where we had to talk about the lighting that was going to go on the exterior of our home. Now, I need to come clean on something. I have prepper tendencies, okay? Now, Shannon, if you don't know what a prepper is, Shannon alluded to this last week. He said it's an individual that has a bunker that he stocks with bourbon, bullets, and beans, I think is, is, is what he had said. Something along those lines, all right? Now, um, I, I have prepper tendencies. I don't actually have a bunker that's stocked full of those sort of things. If you go in our pantry, we don't have a ton of non-perishable food items. We have an abundance of chicken stock. That's, a, that's about it, all right? But there's part of me that sort of, uh, and it could be kind of the, my military background or something. I think about security. I'm preparing for a, a horde of marauders to approach my home at some point for some reason, right? And so as I'm speaking to my electrician, um, I'm telling him that what I want is, is a series of lights on the outside of the home that are wired to a switch next to my bed so that I can flip that switch and blind any advancing group of human beings. All right, I live in the country, it's dark, and that's, that would, I would feel safe if I had that switch next to my bed. And uh, my electrician's a good old boy, right? He's sitting there, he's got his arms crossed, and he's looking at me, and he's got a look of concern and confusion, right? <laughs> Um, and I remember he got to, I kind of got to the end of my story and he looks at me and he goes, Mr. Wheat, um, what are you worried about? It's an innocent enough question. He'd probably lived in the country all his life. And here the city boy was coming in and needing to put up all of this security. He said, what, what are you worried about? Solar flares, you know, the collapse of the American dollar. What kind of crazy thing have you concocted in your mind? And the reality is, is I didn't have an answer for him. I didn't know of anything that was really that important that I needed to put this much effort and worry and anxiety in in order to try to uh, secure my facility that much, okay? Um, now, you're probably sitting there and you're thinking, Ryan, I've never worried about that. I don't know what a solar flare is. I don't know why that would be important, or, or I think the dollar's pretty solid. Um, so I don't struggle with any of those things. But the reality is, is you probably worry about something. 
We all have a certain amount of worry and anxiety in our lives. The older I get, it seems like the more weight I have on my shoulder, the more responsibility I've got. Um, I've got to provide for my family. Uh, am I making enough money? Am I saving enough money? Um, we need to start preparing. Andrew and I don't even have children yet, but should we start saving for college for a child that doesn't even exist yet? Um, what, what, what's this rash that I have? I'm on WebMD trying to figure out what in the world's wrong with me. We have worry and anxiety. That's just the world that we live in. Um, the, the World Mental Health Survey found that Americans, out of 14 countries that they surveyed, Americans dealt with the highest level of anxiety compared to the war-torn countries of Nigeria, Lebanon, and the Ukraine. We deal with a $2 billion anti-anxiety medicine industry in America because we deal with worry and anxiety that much. Now, I've got a question for y'all. And this, man, this hit me to my core. 80% of Americans identify as Christians, most in the world. So if we live in a country where the most people identify as Christians, why are we also the country that also identifies with the highest level of anxiety and worry? I think the answer is pretty simple. I think our faith is more in ourselves than it is in our Father. If we can just do this, if we can just work more hours and save more money, if I can just hover over my kids a little bit more, if I can just work out enough to be able to guarantee my health, if I can just do all of this, then maybe things are going to be all right. Whatever I can control, whatever I can do, then I can steer myself to a sense of peace because I'm the one that's in control of my own destiny. And the result is, is that Americans are working harder today than they have in the history of ever. In fact, Americans today work two months more a year than they did in 1970. Now, I don't mean that in 1970 we had two months off and then now we're now using that time to work. I mean, we have added 2,400 hours to our work schedule. Now, for those of you that are math majors here, that is six and a half hours a day. And if you're like me, you're probably asking the question, how in the world is it even possible that we cram six and a half hours more work in a day? It's because you've seen a drastic increase in people with full-time jobs and careers that are taking on part-time jobs to try to supplement income. There's an increase in people that have multiple part-time jobs in order to try to make more money. Because of little devices like this in my phone, I'm able to get work emails at seven o'clock in the morning, which I'm usually responding to, or at night at nine o'clock. If you ask me on any given day of the week what I do for a living, I'm going to come up with three different answers for you. As a, a pastor in a small church, I'm not bivocational, I'm trivocational. And that's not unique to me. That's what we see uh, as a growing issue in America. And the result of all of that work and all of that effort, the fruit of all of that labor is we've got an increase in workplace shootings. Road rage incidents have skyrocketed. We see an increased need for daycares and not just daycares that are, are being able to see children from nine to five, but they're being asked to have after school programs that are able to watch kids from nine to nine. We need to do more. I need to put more effort into my life to try to have some sort of financial security or something that makes me feel better about myself and my situation. And it doesn't just apply uh, to money. Maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, man, I am independently wealthy. I'm good, I don't worry about any of that. Go ahead, and if that's you, you just have an abundance of money, you want to give some of that away, you can raise your hand this morning. I didn't think so, all right? If you are that person, you can wait for me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you about some of the needs we have here at the church, all right? Maybe it's health. 
There is a reason why pyramid schemes that are slinging pretty pink powder drinks are on the rise. There's a reason why you can go to the grocery store and you're seeing an increased industry that's uh, advertising antioxidants and um, organic and healthier foods because we have this worry in our life that we have to be healthier. We have to pursue a healthier life to somehow lengthen the days that we have. Like we are in control of how much time we have here on this earth. There's gyms, CrossFit gyms that are packed with people that are trying to get their wad in and set a new PR. You may not know what a wad or a PR is. You're my kind of person, okay? Because I have no clue what those things are either. We attempt to control a million things in hopes of avoiding some sort of impeding apocalyptic scenario. We think that we can do more in order to secure our lives. And my question for you guys this morning is, what are you worried about? What is it you are legitimately worried about? Now, worry and anxiety is not exclusive to modern day America, all right? David dealt with this exact same issue 3,000 years ago, and that's where we're gonna kind of launch off of this morning in Psalm 127, uh, starting in verses one through two. It says this, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil for he gives to his beloved sleep. The chapter of Psalm here uh, is a pretty common one. You see it a lot at weddings. Um, people nowadays are scribbling this verse on two by fours as their house starts to get built, right? The Lord is building my house. Uh, you see it frequently at baby showers. Um, if you go a little further down in Psalm 127, he's talking about stuff in your quiver with babies. It's a bumper sticker piece of scripture for a lot of us. It's up there right, right up there with Joshua 24, 15, right? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Slap that on some distressed wood, put it by your front door, boom, Christian household. We feel good about ourselves when we skim over a verse like this very quickly or we chop it up into tiny bits. But I'm telling you, there's some really solid meat to what David is talking about here. He actually ends up addressing two large stressors in this particular piece of scripture. He starts off about talking about the Lord building your home. He's talking about shelter, the need for us to provide a roof over our heads. He talks about the Lord being the watchman. He's talking about security. Security from what? Marauders, whatever. He's actually speaking a little bit more in depth, not just about the physical security, which is what you kind of think of, right? You think of David, you think of a city with walls. The watchman is up in towers, making sure that there's not an impeding uh, group of people that are coming to try to steal things from them. But if you knew anything about the way cities were back then, everything of value was located in that city. So security wasn't just security for my life, but it was security for my food, it was security for my family, right? Essentially financial security. It was security for everything. And so what David is saying here is he's saying, look, all of your effort, all of the work that you put in, all of the toil, all of the stress that you put on yourself trying to build up this life for yourself is completely pointless if God isn't in your life. If God isn't the one that's actually building the house, if God isn't the one that's actually providing your security, then you are doing all of this in vain. In fact, he goes on to say that it's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. This is us. We get up early and we go to bed late. We cram as much as we possibly can into one day. How many times have you heard people say, man, if, if there was just more time in the day, if there were just eight days in a week, if I could just cram more and more of my own effort into the day, then I'm going to be all right. 
But what is the bread of anxious toil? What is it that David's talking about here? The bread of anxious toil is whatever you have elevated to a position of need in your life that has forced you or required you into a routine of overworking yourself in order to provide it. I'm going to say that again. The bread of anxious toil is whatever you have elevated to a position of need in your life that has forced you into a routine of overworking yourself in order to provide that thing. That is the bread of anxious toil. You've set a bar for yourself. You said, I will be happy if, I will be ha- if I can just do this, if I can just dot, 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 then I will be happy, right? You've identified things in your life that you think are going to make you happy. And if you can just work hard enough and do enough and get those things, then you'll finally find peace and joy. It's at the end of that road, right? The light is at the end of that tunnel. When I think of the bread of anxious toil, I think of things like, man, if I can just, if I can just have that banging body, if I can just spend enough time in the gym weighing my food and doing all of those things, then I am going to finally find happiness. My bread of anxious toil is vanity, and the actual anxious toil is all of the work and effort and stress I put into it. Now, before, I know we got some workout folks in here, and you're already thinking, man, Shannon goes after the gun nuts, and you go after the workout people. <laughs> I get that working out is, is a good thing, and it is a healthy thing. Trust me, my students would probably raise their hand and go, Ryan, you could probably run a couple laps. You could probably do a couple more crunches in the morning. I get that. But when you are pursuing after that thing because you are seeking some sort of worldly validation or worldly acceptance, then it's a bad thing. When you're doing it so much that it's affecting your relationships, not only with God, but with other people, then it can be an issue. And that doesn't just apply to working out, that applies to anything. Maybe it's that $90,000 a year salary. You think if I can just make enough money then I'm going to be happy. That's your bread. And so your anxious toil is trying to climb that corporate ladder and trying to push other people aside as you try to advance within your own career in hopes of finally making enough money to finally be able to sit back and rest and relax. Has it ever happened? Have you ever gotten that big promotion and you found out that a month later that just, man, life just got so much easier? Or do you find that you continue to raise that bar on yourself to where you're continually chasing after more money and more money in order to try to meet a need? You're eating and consuming the bread of anxious toil. And the result is worry and stress and anxiety and you begin to beat yourself down. Jesus talks about this a lot further in Matthew 6, starting in verse 25. He says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grasses of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. 
Now, not only does Jesus echo what David is saying uh, in Psalm 127 here, he actually lays out a pretty good uh, framework for what we need uh, in order to try to, to uncover a, a wellspring of joy in our lives that can offset the worry and anxiety that we have in our lives. The first thing that I think Jesus points out in verse 25, and he actually kind of checks us into the boards here a little bit. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. And he goes on to say, is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Right out of the gate, Jesus is challenging how we value our lives. How do we value our lives? He's essentially looking at a group of people here that um, have taken a life that he has given to them and they have confined it into a tiny little box of worth that it has to do with, with money and clothes, food and clothing. What these people have apparently forgotten is the fact that we have been created, formed, and fashioned in the image of God. That's our worth. We're his children. We are the only creature in the world that has that distinction. We are the only thing that has that much value. And yet he goes on to say that if God provides for the birds, which are here, how much more is he going to provide for us here? Now, I want to point something out here because I think people can latch on to verse 26 and they can go, you know what? Jesus is in control. God's got me. I can sit back and just do my thing. I'm going to let go and let God. Jesus, take the wheel. I don't even know what any of that means. I'm just going to offset anything, all of my effort. God will, will give me what I need, and so I can just sit back and not do anything. Let me ask you something. Anytime you've ever seen a bird, what is it doing? It's working. It's working, the, it's working to try to find seeds. It's flying and migrating to someplace where it can live. It's in a pond where it can get water and food. Have you ever had a bird nest on your porch? You knock it down, and within moments, it has reconstructed that nest back. It's fortified it with concrete. You got to use a bat to get it down. Birds work. I love the story in 2 Kings in chapter 3. You've got the king, uh, the king of Moab, and he has owed a debt to the king of Israel. And so instead of paying this debt to the king of Israel, he ends up rebelling against him. And so the king of Israel is like, all right, I got to make my money. So I'm going to make my way to the king of Moab with my army, and I'm going to get back what's mine. And so he sets off on this journey through the wilderness. He makes it seven days, and he realizes that. He doesn't have any water. He's run out of water. His army is going to essentially die. If you know anything about survival, you know that you can go months without food. But if you go without water, you're not going to last very long. And so the king of Israel, worrying about this, essentially says, is there anybody that has favor with the Lord that can somehow help us? And so Elijah steps up and says, I'll tell you what. Here's what the Lord requires. Go dig a bunch of ditches. Walk out in that field, dig a bunch of trenches, and when you wake up in the morning, you'll have your water. And sure enough, the king of Israel goes out, digs a whole bunch of trenches, wakes up the next morning, and they're filled with water. God does value us. He does provide for us, but we have to dig the ditch. We've got to put in the work. If we are going to rid ourselves of the burden of worry and anxiety in our lives, then we need to really understand how much God values us. I think Jesus here is trying to get through our thick skulls and, and try to open our eyes that um, God not only loves and values his creation, how much more does he love and value his children? 
Worry and anxiety is completely pointless. It's really completely powerless if we can really reconcile in our minds who God is and how much he loves us as his children. I've got to remind our students of this all the time. Um, I usually have conversations with them uh, that, that involve me telling, you, telling them, you're not the value of your Snapchat. That's not your worth. How many likes you get on Instagram or followers, that's not what your real value is. Unfortunately, sadly, the, the world we live in, for those of you that have kids, that is, is really something that they struggle with. How valuable am I is dependent on a, a, a button and a click that's got a thumb on it. Now hear me, church. Your value is not your bank account. Your value is not your annual salary. It's not how big your house is or whether or not you've got that eight series parked in the garage or not. You are more accepted and you are more loved and you are more cherished by the God of the universe than you will ever be by the world. And that, that translates directly into God providing for you more than the world ever will. Ever. When we recognize how much that he actually values us, then we should find peace in knowing that he is going to provide for us. We should be able to trust him. O ye of little faith, he goes on to say, O ye of little faith, you worry and you stress because you don't believe, you don't actually believe that God knows what you need. Maybe you worry and stress because you think, well, God's actually not concerned. He's not concerned with what I, I need. Maybe there's a part of you that thinks God actually can't provide it. God cannot provide what I need. For some of us in this room, you're sitting there thinking, I don't know if you really exist at all. You worry and you build up this anxiety and that is directly tied to your faith. And the amount that we let that worry and anxiety into our lives and consume us further confirms whether or not we are closely tied to the world or closely tied to him. If it's a scale, if God is over here and the world is over here, you can see a direct correlation with where you are on that scale with the amount of worry and anxiety that you have in your life. The closer you get to the wor world and trying to fulfill what it requires of you, the more you're gonna see that increase of burden in your life. The closer you get to God and you start to put your trust and your faith in him, the more you're gonna see that anxiety be able to be relieved in your life. You've got to know your value, not your value in the world, but your value to Jesus. Something else that you need to do is you've got to prioritize. You have to prioritize the things that are valuable in your life. The more value that you place on stuff and the more value that you place on things, the more anxiety and worry those particular things will have on you in your life. I'll give you an example. When I was 16 years old, I rammed my first car head-on into a concrete barrier. It's a whole other story for a whole other sermon, but my second car was a little Nissan pickup, smallest truck ever made. It's tiny. I was given to me by my dad, and, and sadly, as a 16-year-old boy, I did not value what was given to me freely, and so I put that little truck through the ringer. I launched it off of things. I drove it like it was a go-kart. It was a standard. I'd put it in first. I'd rev it up to about 8,000 RPMs, drop the clutch, and just waste tires. I didn't care. I did not care about what I did to that little bitty pickup. Fast forward years and years down the road, and I bought my first truck. It was a Ford pickup. And I remember the first time I ever loaded anything into the back of that truck and scratched the bed on it, and it broke my heart. 
I was devastated. And it's a truck. It's supposed to have a scratched up bed. But I cherished that truck. I parked it in the back of, of, of the parking lot because I didn't want door dings on it, right? I had worry and anxiety directly tied to that truck that I didn't have to my Nissan pickup because I valued it more. If you value acceptance from people, if that's what you put up on a pedestal, then it is going to affect you more. You're gonna have more anxiety and more worry tied to you trying to seek out that acceptance. You're gonna be more devastated when you don't get it. If you value vanity, then it's gonna affect you a little more when you see that gray hair start popping out of your ear. You're gonna start working harder and you're gonna start stressing more about all of, of those things that are starting to change on your body. And unfortunately, we can't stop that, but it still stresses us out. What's wild is, is you can value something so much, you can put it on such a high pedestal that you stress about it and worry about it so much that you never even get to enjoy that. Anxiety and worry completely robs us of our joy. What an awesome line in verse 27 when he says, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his lifespan? I love that. What good is it? What productive comes from you having this anxiety and worry in your life? Do you feel healthier? I don't think so. Science proves that worry and anxiety from a health standpoint is a bad thing. Are you happier? No. Are you gaining any more time or any advantage over stressing out over whatever that particular thing is? The answer to that is no. Um, it's a constant discipline, though, I think, for us to remind ourselves um, of what is important in our lives. I think we have to make a point on a daily basis to refocus and relook at what God has actually given to us that's important and that's actually a wellspring of joy for us. And if I were so bold as to give you some actual, actual practical like, application for that, it's to pray every day how different your approach will be on a daily basis where in the stillness of your room before the craziness of the day hits, you hit your knees and you cry out to God and you say, thank you. God, thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you for what you've given to me. I may not have it tomorrow, but I have it today. Thank you for my family. Thank you for everything that you have provided. It will completely change the way you view things that are beating you down throughout the course of your day when you start it with the Lord. But I think we get in this dangerous habit of elevating things into a higher level of priority in our lives, right? We think God is here and our family is here and so um, we're good and we're happy and then all of a sudden we start thinking, if I can get that promotion, if I can go on that vacation, if I can just look a certain way, if I can just get in with a certain group of people and we start to interject the priority of those things in our lives, that we start to create this chasm and this space that anxiety and stress and worry interjects itself. And we find ourselves in this perpetual cycle of just being completely stressed out. And the question is why? Are those things really that important? When you stop and really examine and prioritize the things that are in your life, starting with God, then you start to see that those other things that are grabbing hold of you really don't have any value. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Jesus says in verse 33, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom, zero in on who God is, and he will provide all of these things, food, clothing, shelter, security, the things that you should really 
be worrying about. God is going to provide those and take that worry away from you. All of those things that are dictating control over your life, that fear will lose its control when you give it over to God. But we've got to give up control. We've got to trust in the Lord. I think we throw that around a lot. You trust in Jesus? Do you trust in the Lord? Yeah, yeah, I trust in the Lord. Do you? Do you really? And why do you worry so much about what people think about you? Why are you worried so much about finances and, and being able to live a certain lifestyle that you think you need in order to be happy? If you really trust in the Lord, and I, I hate to say it this way, but if we really trusted in him, really 100% wholly trusted in Jesus, none of that would matter. Acceptance from other people wouldn't matter. But you don't get it, Ryan. You don't get it. You don't understand that we don't even know if we're going to have electricity or water. That can be something to worry about. When I was uh, growing up, uh, Kevin and I both, we would, we would move homes pretty frequently. Just about every other year, it seemed like we were either with my dad or we were with my mom. And I could almost set my clock to it. If I went and moved in with my mom within a matter of months, she would usually fail to pay an electric bill and the lights would go out. And what she would, it was actually so much of a routine that we had candles set in a certain spot. And the moment the electricity would go out, Kevin and I would go grab the candles and it was camping all of a sudden, camping indoors, right? We didn't realize what the bigger issue was, all right? We didn't walk around the house worrying and stressing, the light's gonna come back on. How do we pay this? Do I need to get a job? I mean, I'm seven, but do I need to go to work somehow to provide for this family? We didn't worry about it because believe it or not, the electricity would eventually come back on for a little bit and things would start to progress. If as a seven-year-old, I can put my faith and trust in a broken and flawed human being that can't provide for me, how much more can I put my faith and trust in a living God? I didn't worry. I didn't stress because I knew that it was going to get taken care of. The last instruction that Jesus gives to help us shed the weight of worry is to focus on today. Seize the day, right? Carpe diem. Okay, people actually have that tattooed on their bodies. All that stuff, right? Jesus says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, what I love about this is Jesus doesn't dismiss the fact that you're going to have trouble. He doesn't, he doesn't try to sugarcoat things. He doesn't try to promise you a rose garden. He says, look, you're going to have issues today. You are going to be shaken. There are going to be things that are going to happen that are going to rock you, but... Why are you focusing so much on tomorrow when you can't impact or change those things when you know you've got enough on your plate today? We get so worked up about what is coming that we completely lose sight of what is actually happening in front of us. We're not designed to live that way. We're not designed to live a life where we're always focusing on what's taking place tomorrow in Exodus, uh, when God calls down manna for Moses, he gives some pretty specific instructions to him. He says, look, Moses, I'm gonna call down this manna and you're gonna get enough manna for one day. And if you trust me, if you trust that I will provide for you, then you won't collect any more manna than you need for that one day. And on Sunday, I want you to take a break. Don't collect any of the manna. Trust that I will provide for you. But what happens? We think we know better. We think that we are in control. And so instead of not collecting just a day's worth, they started collecting more. 
And instead of resting on a day when God told them to rest, they tried to go out and collect more. What ended up happening was what they had collected and saved, I love, I love scripture, said that it began to stank. They worried about saving for tomorrow when God said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about tomorrow, I will provide. They tried to work when the Lord said to rest and they did not end up with any more fruit of their labor. Look guys, here's the deal. This is what I know, uh, intellectually what I can process. This isn't exactly how I live my life, but this is what I know. What I know is that when I pursue after God, when I pursue after his heart and what he wants for my life, then I realize that he provides everything that I need that I need, not everything that I want, but everything that I need. And typically, in hindsight, what I usually find out is that what I needed is usually a whole lot better than what I wanted. I may not end up with a big fat bank account, I might not end up with an Escalade on 22s, all right, but what I will find is stuff like peace and joy and love. God provides that is what God provides. But we've got to stop trying to do it on our own. We can't do it on our own. We've got to let the Lord build the house. We have to let the Lord watch over our city. God is good all the time. And he is for us. And he will provide for us. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we come to you this morning just thanking you for what you have given to us. The fact that we have cups that run over with joy and love and peace that can only be found in you. God, thank you for that. God, for the people here that are struggling with having their focus on that, God, I pray that you renew um, their attention to those things that you have provided. God, that you give us the, the ability and the confidence and the security to trust in you and what you have in store for us, not in what we think we can create for ourselves. God, we know that you love us. We know that you want to give us the desires of our hearts, but God, we also know that our hearts change when we desire you. And so God, I pray for that for this church, that we desire you that we pursue after you, God, and that you can relieve the anxiety and the stress and the worry that is in our lives. We love you, we praise you, and all God's people said, amen.